Okay, so if you have Bibles open with, uh, with you, open them to uh, Romans chapter 12. So last week, um, I reviewed some prophetic insight I had for the year 2011. And after um, we kind of reviewed those, um, I shared some insights I had for 2012. You guys have been here for a while. You know, that's my custom. Usually at the end of the year, the beginning of the year, I ask God, hey, what's coming? You know, give me, give me some insight. Give me some a heads up on, on what's coming. He shows me things, and I do the best I can to interpret what he shows me, and I share it with you. And I'm, I'm doing that again. Uh, this year, so we, we reviewed 2011's insights, and some of them were, were, were pretty much on the target, many of them were. Um, and I shared some of the insights I had gotten for 2012. Today, I want to share with you some additional um, revelatory insights, some prophetic insight I've gotten. Um, but let's read um, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Paul, writing to the Romans, he says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Lord, use me today. I pray that you would use me to speak your word to your people in a way that's life-giving to them. Breathe on your word today. Amen? Okay, so we'll come back to, we'll come back to those verses. Um, but just a quick review of what I shared last week. Some of the revelation that God gave me. I told you that I felt like the number 12 was the number for the year. It's the year... 2012, I felt like God had given me a number, a color, and a verse for the year. And I told you, I felt like the number was 12 and how 12 represented government and authority. And then, not surprising that we're entering into an election year for our country. I shared with you that I felt that there's a difference between God's, uh, God's way of operating in governmental authority and the world's op- way of operating in governmental authority. That with God, his, his model, his mode of authority is relational. It's not positional. It's a relational authority, not a positional authority. And think of it this way. Mothers and fathers versus CEOs. Okay? Moms and dads versus bosses. God's mode of authority is relational. And I told you that... Authority will be exercised in, in 2012. And this is how you'll be able to tell the difference between what's the exercise of godly authority and the exercise of worldly authority. When it's God, it's, it's like I said, it's going to be like a mama and a papa. And I told you that mamas and papas are more concerned with the finish line than the bottom line. This is a dipstick test. If you want to figure it out what the difference is, godly authority, mothers and fathers are more concerned with the finish line than the bottom line. Bosses and CEOs are concerned with the bottom line. That's it. 
right? They want to make money. That's one of the dipstick tests you'll be able to use to tell the difference. Ungodly authority, those who are only looking for the bottom line, they have no problem demanding that you produce bricks without straw. And ungodly authority will do that. And I believe in the year to come, we're going to see a continued clash between true and counterfeit authority inside the church. I think we're going to see changes in political parties in the years to come. In the year to come. The color I said was purple, and from those of you who have taken the dreams classes know that um, purple also represents authority. And I felt like in the year to come, just like there'll be true and false godly authority concerning the number 12, I think this applies to the color purple as well. A kingdom authority, a true authority, a false authority, a worldly authority. And how we get purple, most of us learned as kids, by combining red and blue. And this gives us some other insights into telling the difference between godly and worldly authority. True uh, godly authority is going to be a combination of red and blue, and that's going to be a combination of wisdom, and the color red, and revelation, the color blue. Godly wisdom and divine revelation. The marriage of those things, that's where you'll see true godly authority. Now the people who have godly wisdom and divine revelation, they may not have the title, <laughs> the authoritative title. They may not even have the authoritative position from a worldly perspective, but in a kingdom perspective, they have, they have kingdom authority. So you, you know, the, the analogy that comes to me is you could have a major corporation and there could be, you know, in the, you know, the penthouse office suite is, you know, the chief executive officer has his name on the door in the corner office and the big desk. But from a kingdom perspective, the person with the greatest amount of kingdom authority could be the janitor in the basement because he has true godly wisdom and he has true divine revelation. Right? His office you know, might be adorned with a dirty mop bucket, but he could be near and dear to the heart of God. So with true authority, we'll see the, the, the mixture of wisdom and revelation, godly wisdom, divine revelation, and the false You'll see, you also see the mixture of red and blue, but it's going to be anger and information. Anger and frustration, even rage, combined with statistical data and humanistic strategies. That'll be the false. And it's, work, it's wiggled its way into the church, and that concerns me. I told you that another difference would be between love and lust. True godly authority manifests itself as love. It gives selflessly for the sake of other people. A counterfeit false authority, I think we'll see exercised in 2012, manifests itself selfishly as lust, taking by any means possessions and positions and even people, if possible, for selfish gain and for personal glory. Told you the verse for I got for the year was all of Romans twelve. I think that is I think there's just rich, godly wisdom for the year ahead in Romans chapter twelve. And of all of the the chapter, I think verse two is most significant, where it says, "Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, 
pleasing and perfect will. And I think there's some specific application of Romans 12 too to the way that we do this thing we call church. His ways not being our ways. I don't believe that worldly principles can produce kingdom results. And kingdom results do not look like worldly results. Another way to say it is this. Flesh produces flesh, spirit produces spirit. Flesh cannot produce spirit. We can't do spiritual things worldly ways. No matter how hard you try. Well, I should say it this way. You can't do spiritual things worldly ways and expect a spiritual result. You can do spiritual things worldly ways, and what you come up with is some kind of Frankenstein, some kind of mixture. It might be all big and puffed up. It might even be strong. But there's no life inside. There's no spirit in it. I told you from Romans 12, the redemptive gifts of the Spirit listed there. I think there's some continued significance in studying and understanding and uh, applying those in the year to come. Verses 6 to 8 list the seven redemptive gifts of the Spirit as prophet, servant, teacher, giver, ruler, and mercy. And I felt like there was going to be, in the year to come, a continued unfolding understanding of the mercy gift. I think we're in that seventh season. I agree with Arthur Burke. We're in the mercy season. And I told you how the, chapter, the rest of the chapter, verses 9 to 21, I think beautifully spell out love in action, the mercy gift applied. Practical application of the mercy gift. Extraordinary picture of the contrasting kingdom cultures I'm just communicating to you, I think, are found in verses 9 to 21 of Romans chapter 12. Just an astonishing picture of love and mercy and grace. It just, I strongly recommend, I encourage you to read and study and meditate. Pray through Romans 12 in the coming year. I think you'll find life there. I think you'll find encouragement, some practical guidance for your life. Again and again, it's rich. It's a rich well you can go to repeatedly for the coming year. And then I, I share with you some pictures. God speaks to me most of the time in pictures. Who's, I was talking to somebody this week. And they were asking me about figuring out how you knew that God was speaking to you. And then, I didn't share this last week, but... Somewhere along the way, on my journey, um, God, you know, God, would, God would speak to me in subtle ways. And I'd recognize it was Him. Mostly that, that still small voice on the inside. You know? and, um, and then... Um, I had, we were in Washington and I was pastor in church there. We had this great favor with prophetic people. I mean, all these top-name people were coming through our church. And I was pretty intimidated by the enormity of their gifting and, and the degree of revelation that they, gave, they, they gained and received. And I began to um, kind of, you know, kind of despise the gift that God gave me. You know, my puny little revelatory gift compared to you know, the massive enormity of the revelation that these guys got. And how God would speak to them versus how God would speak to me. And I remember complaining to a friend of mine about this. And, um, and uh, he, a friend of mine, Bill, 
I, I would tease him. I said that he has a, a velvet-covered two-by-four that he used to love to smack me in the head with every once in a while. He could say really hard things in gentle ways. And uh, he just challenged me. He says, God speaks to you. He says, learn how to recognize the way that God speaks to you. And, and that was so helpful for me. It was kind of like, kind of like so, every once in a while in the movies, they'll, they'll shake somebody and you know, slap them across the face, right? And they kind of wake up. But that was what Bill did for me. He kind of like took me up, boom, 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 slapped me across the face, woke me up. He's like, oh, God does speak to me. And this was, this is a, may sound like a small thing, but this was so big for me in understanding my personal relationship with God. I realized that for my whole life, God would speak to me parabolically. He would speak to me through analogy. My kids would tease me about it. Every time there would be something going on, there would be this teaching moment, and Dad would pop out some kind of analogy on the fly. They used to tease me. They said, Dad, you're the king of analogies. And I would forever use analogy in teaching moments, in ministry moments, in sermons. And the light went on. It's like, this is what parables are. Parable is analogous, right? It's metaphoric. And I suddenly realized this is how God speaks to me. He shows me pictures. He lets me see pictures that are an analogy of what he's revealing to me about a person or a situation or a need. I was like, wow. And suddenly I realized he's been doing this my whole life. And I just didn't know it was him. And I've, and I've learned to be comfortable in my own skin. This was, this was a pretty big deal for me. It really was. And so I encourage you with that. Find out how he speaks to you. He's probably been speaking to you your whole life that way. And then embrace it. And, and be comfortable in your own spiritual skin. Hey, this really is God. This really is how he speaks to me. And it helped me take leaps and bounds forward in trusting uh, what what he would give me. So anyway, God speaks to me in pictures, a little rabbit trail, coming back to the path. He speaks to me in pictures, and so some of the pictures, the impressions I got for, for 2012 was this. I saw a picture of a father walking down a path, and he had a little boy and a little girl in each hand. He had a little boy in his left hand, a little girl in his right hand, and he's walking down the path. And so I see the picture, and then I ask God, what is this? And my sense was this, that this is what Christianity was going to look like from God's perspective in 2012. Not a year of warriors with their commanding officer, not a year of students with their professor, not a year of patients with their doctor, not a year of servants with their master, or not a year of employees with their employer, but a year of a loving papa with his children. This is how he wants to walk with us. This is how he wants to communicate to us. This is how he wants to teach us. As a loving father, out for a walk in the park with his boy and with his girl. That's good stuff. I'm excited about that. Hey, there are years where we have to be warriors. There are years where we have to be students. Right? There are years where there's an emphasis on healing or serving. The training. But I feel like this year, it's about going for a walk in the park with our Heavenly Father. Oh, the things that we can learn. Have time alone with Dad. The other picture I told you I've seen was a gavel, like a judge's gavel, striking 
the judge's bench three times. Boom, boom, boom. And I told you the gavels were used to signal attention. They were used to bring to order. And they were used to mark the conclusion of a transaction. And I felt like what I saw represented the end of pending cases. That in 2012, you'll see justice rendered for injustices. And I felt like this was personal. It was for individuals. That there'll be divine justice rendered in 2012 for past injustices. And it will mark the conclusion of the matter. I told you to look out for the prophets of Hollywood. I felt like there were movies coming that would continue to prophesy to our nation. And to pay attention to them. They would be like, like parables. They would be metaphoric. They would need to be interpreted. But God's going to speak through Hollywood producers to speak to our nation. And some of them will even know that they're being used by God. It'll be great and small. There'll be some blockbuster hits that will speak to us. And there'll be some small independent films, maybe TV movies, that'll have a profound impact and will speak to you. I felt like it was aiming toward the heart and not to head. Not the head. And it was reflecting the heart of God, touching the hearts of men. I felt like also in 2012 there would be breakthroughs in medical issues concerning blood, cures for blood-borne diseases, and how breakthrough in one disease was going to open the way for many other cures. A couple other things from last week. I saw a gift box that was open. It was a cube-shaped box. And the gift was open, and the gift was already taken out of the box. And so, you know, God speaks to you in the way he speaks to you. He speaks to me in strange ways. So I see this cube-shaped box with wrapping paper opened on it, and it looked like it could have been shiny, striped Christmas paper. It could have been a birthday present. I wasn't sure. But the box was open, and the gift had been removed. And when I looked at it, I felt like this is what God said it was, that in 2012 we'll begin to see the gifts of the Holy Spirit let out of the box in mainline denominational churches, denominational churches, Protestant churches. I felt like there was especially true of Baptist churches, Methodist churches, but truly mainline Protestant evangelical churches, those that have been resistant to the gifts of the Spirit. And that the more in the box the denomination was known for, there was going to be the greater degree of a release of an outpouring of the Spirit. And I felt like it was divine justice due to the denomination's founders. And how some of this has gone back for, for centuries. They've been waiting for this. A great cloud of witnesses have been crying out for it. And I said, boy, oh boy, it's going to be messy. It's going to be really messy. What did your living room floor look like on Christmas morning after all the gifts were open? Man, there's paper and ribbons and bows and empty boxes everywhere, right? The room is filled with excitement. Kids are running around playing with all their new gifts. That's what it's going to look like at some of these churches. The gifts are going to be let out of the box. The kids are going to be having a blast. And there's going to be remnants of the box, the packaging, all over the place. Going to be messy. And that there is an invitation for you and me. There's an invitation for those of us who've walked in the Spirit for, for decades now to love these people and to help them and to serve them and to, and to walk with them and to be a mama and a papa to them. 
I felt like what's going to begin to happen in 2012 is very similar to what happened in the early 70s when the Catholic Charismatic Renewal hit. When the gifts of the Spirit were released in the Catholic Church, very conservative, very inside-the-box organization, it was crazy messy. And it was, by and large, fatherless. Those, those who should have stepped up, those experienced members of the church, those from the latter rain movement, those from the Pentecostal movement, who had walked in the spirit for decades, it was their moment to step up and lead the Catholics, to love and nurture and support and encourage the Catholics, and with just a few exceptions, by and large, they rejected it. They, had, they were so locked in their theology, they could not believe that people who prayed to Mary would actually get the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I think we learned a lesson in the 70s that God's a whole lot less concerned with our doctrine than we are. And the Spirit of God moved in powerful ways there. I think we're going to see it again in mainline churches beginning in 2012. So, it's not our time or our place to judge them or criticize them or lord over them, but it's an opportunity, a privilege for us to love them and help them. So I told you the number was 12, the color was purple, the verse was Romans 12, especially verse 2, the whole thing. Some of the pictures, Papa walking with his kids. That's God's, you know, relational from God's perspective. Three gavel strikes. Justice for Injustice, The Prophets of Hollywood, Prophetic Movies, Medical Breakthroughs of Blood, and The Gifts of the Spirit in Denominational Churches. Then I shared some personal prophetic words of people, and I, and I shared something for the church as a whole. I told you that I saw the picture of a potato going through a ricer. You guys know what a ricer is? It's almost like a giant garlic press. <laughs> it's kind of what it looks like. And you squeeze potatoes through it. And usually it's... It's used for making mashed potatoes. That's what it's for. And I felt like that was a picture of us. That God was taking us, the bridge Long Island, that potato, and he was putting us through this ricer. And I, and I feel like this is what it means. In, we're still the substance of the potato. The substance hasn't changed. The molecular structure on one side is the same as on the other. It just looks different. It's the same substance, but it looks different on the other side of the ricer. So it's still in the substance of potato, but it looks different. God's going to be doing something with us. I think it's going to happen soon, and we're going to look very different than we look right now. And I, he tells us this so that we know when it happens that it's him. It's really good of him to do that. I told you that I felt that this also meant that you were exporters of freedom, and I exhorted you to do these three things. Number one, share good news. Share the good news of God's extravagant love with everybody you meet. Number two, open blind spiritual eyes. And number three, set people free. That's what, in essence, that's what Jesus said he came to do in Luke 4.18. And that's what I exhort you to do. As God takes the bridge Long Island and pushes us like a potato through a ricer, I exhort you to share good news, the good news of God's extravagant love, to open blind spiritual eyes, 
and to set people free. So those were the insights I had for last week. I got some more this week that I, want, I wanted to share with you. And the first one comes right out of Romans chapter 12. I told you I'd go back there. Romans 12 only makes sense if you pay attention to verse 1. Romans 12 only makes sense through the lens of mercy. So verse 1 says, in the NIV, says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. In view of God's mercy. I urge you in view of God's mercy. If we try to do any of this other stuff without the lens of mercy, I think we're going to miss it terribly. I think so much of what's listed in that chapter will become for us rules, religious rules and regulations. It'll become burden and law that God never intended. I think key to comprehending what God wants to do in this next year, and especially when he wants to reveal to us in Romans chapter 12, is this. We have to view it through the perspective of God's mercy. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Looking at Philip's um, paraphrase, he says, he says it this way, with eyes wide open to the mercies of God, with eyes wide open to the mercies of God, I beg you, my brothers, as an act of intelligent worship, to give your bodies as a living sacrifice, consecrated to him, acceptable by him. I think it's impossible to be an authentic, living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, apart from understanding his mercy. Truly, I believe it's impossible to be an authentic, living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, apart from understanding his mercy. I think we'll miss it every time. If we do, we put the cart before the horse. We need to have eyes that view life through the lens of God's mercy. Eyes wide open, as Philip says, to the mercies of God. Now, if you look at the word mercy here in the Greek, it literally means the heart of compassion. So we cannot have an accurate view of the Christian life apart from God's heart of compassion for us. So, so some additional insight into verse 1. Don't go to Romans 12.2. I told you that was the key verse of the year. Don't go to Romans 12.2 without having a grasp of Romans 12.1. Remember this. Mercy precedes transformation. Mercy precedes renewed minds. Mercy precedes God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. So Romans 12.2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. But His mercy comes first. Seeing His mercy in every circumstance is the only way that we get to transformation. The only way we get to minds that are renewed. The only way that we can truly comprehend God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. Study mercy. That was the first thing I got for this year, was understanding mercy.
the next thing I wanted to add. Romans 12.1 before Romans 12.2. The other thing I felt was that 2012 was going to be a year of choices. So choose well. And I think this is choices, you know, making good choices is a good thing to do. It's true every day of every year. But I think it's especially true in the year 2012. I feel like some of the choices that we make in this year were going to be weighty and that they were going to have long-term effect in our lives. So on a personal level, think of it this way. Think chess, not checkers. Okay? As you make choices, think chess. Good chess players, they're three, four, five, six moves ahead in the game. Right? They're thinking long-term when they make their choices. As you make choices, I would encourage you, think checkers, not chess. Be strategic. Think long term. I think that's the personal application. Choices are going to be significant. They're going to have long term effect. I think nationally, this, this applies very well to the presidential election that's going to take place in November. That the election, the people who are elected this coming year um, will have long-term a strategic impact on the future of our nation. Now, as you make choices, I encourage you to choose love. Once in the spirit, in, in the experience I had in the spirit, I was told, I was told this, when you're not sure what to do, and it'll be often, <laughs> choose love. I think that was really good, godly counsel and wisdom. When you're not sure what to do, and Tom, it'll be often. Choose love. Love never fails. It never fails. I'm not sure that we can ever go wrong by choosing to love. Also concerning choices, my encouragement to you is to make choices based upon trust and not upon fear. Again, there's significance in choices in the coming year. Make choices based on trust and not fear. I believe that fear is a diagnostic indicator of trust. Fear is a diagnostic indicator of trust, especially as it, as it relates to our, our personal walk with God, how it relates to faith. To the degree that the circumstances of life generate fear in me, my trust in him is lacking. Right? When the circumstances of life cause me to have fear, that's a diagnostic indicator that I'm lacking in trust. So as you make choices in the year ahead, my encouragement to you is make choices based upon your trust in God as opposed to your fear of the circumstances. If you're not sure what to do, choose love. Right? I think choices will be significant. So mercy and choices. God's earned our trust. I think another significant um, thing coming, you know, aspect, prophetic insight into 2012, is I think we're going to see women rising to women positions of leadership to a much more significant degree beginning in 2012. In 2012, more and more women will rise to positions of leadership both in the world and in the church. I think one of those prophets of Hollywood thing I, I referenced earlier 
is a movie that's already out now called The Iron Lady, starring Mel Street as uh, Britain's Prime Minister, former Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher. I believe it's a prophetic picture of this truth that women will be rising up into greater positions of leadership. I think it has to do with this. There's a tenderness with strength. There's great strength with tenderness. I think that's one of the aspects that we'll see in women rising to positions of leadership. So choices, mercy, women in leadership. Let's see. A couple more things. I feel like God is into small. And I tell you, he speaks to me in pictures. Sometimes I see things, I see normal, natural, real life, everyday things, and God speaks in revelation to me. So I was looking at two gifts I received from my son for Christmas. And as I looked at these two gifts from my son, I felt like this was a picture of gifts from the son. These are gifts from God. And both of the things he gave me were small. They, They were mini. They were miniature. They were miniaturized. One is this, this very cool. I should have brought them with me. I forgot to bring them with me this morning. I could have brought them and shown them to you. But he brought me this little speaker. I mean, it's, um, I don't know, it's like the size of a ball. Maybe the, the top of this microphone. And um, I could plug it into my iPad. And you can't believe the amount of sound. It's called an X-Mini. The amount of sound... No batteries, nothing. You just plug it into your iPad, bam! All this sound comes out of it. Big sound out of a small little thing. The other thing he gave me was a, like a little pocket knife. It was a Gerber mini multi-tool. And you can open it up. And, you know, guys love this stuff, right? I mean, it's got pliers in it. It's got screwdrivers in it. It's got knives in it. And it all folds down into this tiny little package. I felt like these two gifts were pictures of, of what God wants to do, that God's into, into small. And this is, the, this is the insight I got. was not to despise the day of small beginnings. Zechariah 4.10 says, I realize that small is part of God's design. God designed, for example, God designed birth to be both small and messy. Right? Some of you women should rejoice that babies aren't born this my size, right? <laughs> Babies are small. They're itty-bitties. But boy, is it messy. God's into small, and he's okay with messy. There's gifts coming from him. And they're, they carry, though they're small, what he's doing, they carry within them things that are great, things that are big, things that are multifaceted and more powerful than they appear to be from just the outside. Another way of saying it, little is much in God's hands. Think of the five loaves and two fish, and Jesus fed 5,000. Consider seeds, another way to look at it. Inside an acorn is the potential of a forest. Inside one kernel of wheat, there's the capacity for an entire crop of wheat. So God's into small also concerning seeds. Seeds were made to die. The purpose of a seed, its design is to give of itself to become something greater and bigger. So God's into small. And he takes small things, and from those small things, he makes big things. 
Jesus said, Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. My Father honors the one who serves me. John 12, 24 to 26. And so that leads me to the last insight I had. So there's choices, there's mercy, there's women in ministry, and God being into small things. I think the other is in 2012, look for kingdom opposites. Be mindful of kingdom opposites in 2012. That to live, we must die. And to die, we must live. Those who would lose their life will gain it. It's small is big. The last is first. The way up is down. And the humble are exalted. And the greatest serve. That his ways are not our ways. I think we'll see that paradox played out many, many times, over and over again, lots of different ways in the year to come. So along with the things I shared last week, this week, I just want to add to it, to be mindful of mercy. Romans chapter 12 is, I believe, a chapter that God's going to use to speak to us repeatedly through in the year to come. I felt like verse 2 was key, but we'll miss the understanding of the whole chapter. We'll miss the understanding of verse 2 if we skip over verse 1. If we skip over viewing all of this in light of God's mercy with eyes wide open to mercy. If we look through the lens of mercy, the rest of it's going to make sense to us. Be mindful of choices in the year to come. The choices we make now are going to have long-term effect. Think, check, think chess, not checkers. And if you're not sure what to do, default, let your default position be love. Choose to love. Expect to see women rise to positions of leadership, both in the world and in the church. God's in the small things. Small gifts that do big things. And kingdom opposites. Remember that his ways are not our ways. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you have a plan. And it's for our good. That you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. That nothing about tomorrow surprises you. Lord, I thank you that you never utter the words, uh oh. That never will you look at my life and say, what are we going to do now? Lord, I thank you that 2012 was already completely in your hands. And I thank you that you would graciously choose to give us insight into, into what's ahead. Thank you, Lord. So Lord, I ask that you would bless uh, the coming year. That you bless our lives in it. I ask that your favor, your blessing, your provision, your presence, your power would be exhibited in every family, in each life. Do it, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you help us to walk with you hand in hand in the days to come. And as we go for a stroll in the park, with you, Papa, 
that you teach us. That you teach us your ways. That you instruct us. That you help us. That you would protect us. Yes, Lord. I'm just, as I'm praying, I'm just imagining that if I was in the park with Lisa and Tommy when they were little, nothing would ever hurt them. Anything that would try to hurt my kids, if I'm on a walk in the park with them, it's going to have to go through me before it ever gets to them. And I felt like there's that kind of, we can expect that kind of protection from God. We go for a walk in the park with our Father. He's got us covered. He's got us well protected. And thank you for the love that you have for us. For the great pleasure and delight you take in being with us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your goodness. Your kindness. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy. And your extravagant love for us. Have your way in our midst. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. I love you guys. Happy New Year. Enjoy the rest of your day and root the Giants into the playoffs tonight. Amen? I got my priorities in order. <laughs>